Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival, including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Merit Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Cornelio Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. Um, my name is Nick Rippold. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and this is another in our Toronto Film Festival series. Uh, we've been talking about the movies, large and small, all creatures great and small, um, here at the festival. Uh, and for this edition, I'm very pleased to be joined by... Michael Koreski from Film Comment and Reverse Shot. And... Justin Chang, LA Times. Uh, and Justin, this is our uh, transatlantic uh, yes. c- connection. We also did one in Venice. Um, you, uh, you you went here directly from Venice. Yeah, I didn't get to living in LA. I didn't stop over yeah. back home. It was just no point. So, but uh, I did a lot of laundry my first first day I got, <laughs> got back. So that was good. So um, you yeah. see, you see what we go through to bring you the movies from all <laughs> over the world. Um, but uh, it's it, things have been going on at a, at a steady clip, you know. Very busy first weekend, uh, lots of lots of bigger premieres, and um, now things cool down a tiny bit, I guess. Also, just because the streets aren't as packed as they are that first weekend. Um, but but Michael, you you got here in the weekend, and you were just hypothesizing about a few of the movies you've seen that there's there's a theme you're noticing. It's well, you know, it's hard when you're at a film festival because you can't tell if you're if you're picking up on themes that are coming just from the films, or if you're picking up on things happening with your own brain patterns, or if that's really all one and the same. <laughs> but I've I've found this to be a um, spectacularly nerve jangling, anxiety inducing edition of the Toronto Film Festival. <laughs> I'm not going to you know deny that part of that is just me (laughs) i'm not going to just blame the films i find film festivals to generally be um anxious spaces you're running from one place to the next you're always thinking that you're seeing the wrong thing and then if you kind of bring your own personal baggage into it it makes everything a little heightened so i feel like i've seen this ongoing theme in almost every single movie that i've seen here in which they're about people slowly cracking up (laughs) And I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I'm telling you, to a film. I, I tried to find a film that really? wasn't about this <laughs> on some <laughs> level. Um, I think it's just a sign of the times, right? I mean, yeah. these movies are definitely reflecting what sure. is going on um, in the larger world. But I, I don't know which one, which one of these movies you want me to start with. <laughs> but if you want to start with something big, I mean, there's... Yeah, there's start uncut, with the biggest crack up you got. <laughs> there's, well, there's Uncut Gems, uncut which is Gems. the Safdie Brothers film. Yes. Um, starring Adam Sandler. Yeah. And... I, it's one of those movies you watch and you assume is going to be divisive just by the nature of the film. Yeah. Um, but I think that I, th- I think because it's a tour de force performance on Adam Sandler's part, it probably will get a lot of praise. And that, and I understand that. I'm very impressed with their filmmaking. Um, but it, it is designed to shred your nerves. And I know this is kind of what they've been doing for a little while. I think this pushes it up against the limits. Mm. Um, the sound design, the editing, the performance style. Um, it's very Cassavetes. It's very, it's very, um, voices in every corner of the, you know, or voices, faces, everything is coming out at you. Mm. And 
it was very tiring, I have to say. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm willing to watch it again. I think it builds to, to a, a genuinely interesting crescendo. I think Adam Sandler goes about as far as he can go, um, mm. and the movie does too. But I'm a little confused about some things. That I'm, I'm not going to go too deep into it because I yeah. believe I'm I the only one here who has seen it. Um, but, but Justin, you saw it as well, right? Or? I did not. I am seeing oh, it didn't. this evening Oh, okay, okay. as well. I see. Looking forward to it. I see. Okay. Yeah, no, it's definitely be interesting to see how people take this. I mean, Good Time was definitely a movie done at a run, and it, and it, and it sounds like this is a similar similar thing. It definitely is. Um, but I would to move on to something that is about a crack up that I yeah. definitely love and admire, and that I think we can all talk about. Mm-hmm. Marriage Story. Oh God, the feel good <laughs> the feel oh, blockbuster of the year. Um, right. I really. I mean, I like Noah Baumbach generally, but I was actually still taken aback by just how spectacularly done this is. Yeah. I was upset from the first frame to the last. And I, I say that with <laughs> with true admiration. I really do. Um, someone else should jump and talk about this movie. But Scarlett Johansson and M. Driver give performances unlike anything I've seen from them. Yeah. They're really, really wonderful. Um, this is a movie. It's, it's, a, it's a divorce drama it's a, you're watching the sort of the death throes of their marriage um and you're with you know i think a lot of the conversation around the movie is surrounding you know this their perspectives uh it's sort of being sold as a he said she said his and hers symmetrical uh kind of thing it's not quite that and i actually think this is a strength of the movie not a not a deficiency um it's very much the Adam Driver character's story. This is a, you know, loosely fictionalized, semi-autobiographical, whatever, based on Bombach's, uh the disintegration of his own marriage to Jennifer Jason Leigh. Um, and it's very much, you know, I, he, Scarlett Johansson's character gets a lot of emotional weight, but it really is the Adam Driver character's story. And um, it's also in- extremely hard on him. I mean, Bombach, of course, is so good at self-loathing and, and narcissism. I mean, these are just things that recur in his work. And I think he's really, you know, he's laying the character bare in a way that is, um, it's, it's very funny throughout. Of course, it just has his, his comedy and it's, they're just emotionally lacerating scenes. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, just, from what I hear from a friend of mine who, you know, just, from various friends of mine who've seen it and who know from experience, um, apparently a very accurate picture of just divorce proceedings and the right. sort of the, the legal and the, the financial uh, chaos along with the emotional chaos uh, that is, um, that is uh, dredged up by that. So um, yeah, I, I think it's really, really strong. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like a sense of mounting terror is the best way to describe that. Right. Cause it's, right. It, it seems like it's ostensibly, um, reasonable, rational people that, that, who think, well, we're not going to fall into those patterns. We're not going to become enemies. We're not going to become monsters. And just navigating the practical situation of what happens, it it just explodes, you know, or, yeah. or incre- incremental, bit by bit. You see how these things happen and get ugly, ugly, ugly. And watching people devolve into that kind of ugliness, I, I, I it was so sad. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that it's a, it's not a hopeless film actually, no. as it turns out. But it's a movie that um, 
is like you're saying it's unsparing one thing that you were saying though about you know Baumbach he's always good at kind of picking up on on the hypocrisies and the way that we talk about ourselves and others interact this one I felt was the the most humane in that way usually I feel like there's a little bit of relishing that he takes being mm-hmm. a fan of his films. He, ta- he he relishes in uncovering our worst tendencies. I did not get that here. That I think that people were all these, uh, these characters are all trying to do what they think is the best thing. And we're often our own worst enemies. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I agree with that. And I, and it, it for me, it, it, it almost comes out in the writing as well in, in the sense that a lot of his previous movies are very much driven by these, these lines that, you know, it's almost he has people there to deliver, you know, that like that are encapsulating these in very perfect ways, little are all our little foibles and everything. And these these perfectly almost epigrammatic dialogue that he has people speak from the very beginning with like kicking and screaming. It's kind of amazing that he's always written that way. Um, but, yeah, this is a film where the biting wit actually like, you know, is leaves a mark, you know, like you actually feel something about these observations. And, and it's not all it doesn't all feel like removed it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's all one voice uh, in a way not that that's always what happens but i agree yeah. yeah and and just the there are so many scenes that start off as one thing and end as another yeah and that's a great thing about also the, the lawyer characters they're so finely etched i mean laura dern and ray liotta <laughs> and alan alda each one yeah when the scene begins you think you know where it's heading yeah, yeah. and you they kind of <laughs> reveal who they are bit by bit yeah um, and yeah. then there's of course there's the, the big fight scene between the two of them which becomes so harrowing but it starts out as a seeming reconciliation sequence he yeah, yeah and, and and i just want to say i feel like you get through this film, which is almost 140 minutes, mm-hmm. and scenes are allowed to play out in these mm-hmm. um, very long, intricate heroin ways. And I thought, thank God for Netflix. <laughs> I can't help but say that. A couple of years ago, we may all have been singing a different tune at some film festivals. Mm-hmm. I do not think an American studio would have let this movie play mm-hmm. out the way that it does necessarily. They're, kind of, they're, they're giving filmmakers a little bit of free reign, and I yeah. like that. It's the kind of movie, too, that, of course, will play very, very well in your living room. And yet it also felt struck me when I saw it as very much, you know, it's an audience movie. I mean, I yeah, it's funny. I wasn't at the the screenings in Venice or whatever. I saw it early. But mm-hmm. um, hearing that people were cheering at Laura Dern's speech about the Virgin Mary and just when she's laying there, you know, what women have to go through and everything. Um, I wish I'd been there for that. And so yeah. it's, it's a movie that can kind of, I think, straddle that divide really nicely. And I think it. It's interesting. I think, you know, formally he's doing some things. That, I mean, you know, overall, I think the technique, you know, serves the serves the story, serves the script, and everything. But even just the opening sequence, which also has exactly what you said, that starts out making you think one thing and then reverses yeah. quite yeah. nicely, um, is just some of the most, I don't know, instinctive, just beautiful, this m- moving camera. He's navigating memories. It's some of the. F- freest uh filmmaking i think i've seen him do and he's not and he's not a formally uninteresting filmmaker i think people the tendency is to assume that he is or that he's just got a very workmanlike kind of style but of course you know whether it's francis ha mistress america all three he's i think he has been playing around and here it just really comes together yeah Um, yeah yeah for sure yeah i mean it's i you know it's I, i i hope i didn't say this already when when we talked about it in um in venice um but it's, I mean, it's a movie that makes me wonder why he isn't like a more major, regarded as a more major film. Like it doesn't occupy like a bigger place in like the American film landscape. I mean, obviously within certain circles, he's, he is, you know, but, 
but it's you know it's strange that you know he, I guess because he carves his own very kind of cutting path you know that um, but you know I I don't see this this should be a movie that should not that I'm thinking in terms of awards but it should be a best best picture film you know I mean maybe it's just that there's something about his outlook <laughs> of a lot of his movies that kind of removes himself because he's often at a certain you know, um, cynical angle a little bit, but he does it very well. Um, but this is one that I, I don't know how you couldn't ignore that he's one of our best filmmakers and writers, you know, for film right now. No, I agree. Um, our foremost neurotic right our now. Foremost neurotic. <laughs> we always yeah. need one. We do. We do. We need someone there quivering and, and, and <laughs> hand wringing at the front lines <laughs> for the rest of us, <laughs> for the rest of us. Um, so that's Marriage Story um, and, and, and a little bit of Uncut Gems. Um, were there, there was another movie that you know, people are probably are wondering a lot about, and that's Waves. Who's, who's seen Waves? Just I have seen it. And continuing, I guess, Michael's theme of crack-up movies, because this definitely has a dimension of that. Um, you know, and, and Trey Edward Schultz, the writer-director, of course, made a very... Cassavetes-esque, you know, debut with Krisha a few years ago. Yeah. And then he made It Comes at Night, which was more of a post-apocalyptic genre movie. This one is sort of back to Krisha in a way, and insofar as, I mean, both his, both, he's really interested in the dynamics of family and um, sort of the, the, perhaps the psychological breakdown of of a family or of a family member. Um, And this movie is about... A, an African-American family in a South Florida suburb. Um, and it's focused mainly on the teenage, the older of two children, teenage son, played by Kelvin Harrison Jr., um, who's a terrific actor who was also in It Comes at Night. And I really dug just this movie. You're, you're just in his head. You're in his body as well. He is a, you know, he's a wrestling star. The filmmaking is very physical. It's, uh, you know, he uses, Schultz uses this swiveling, 180 degree camera pans. Um, he does, you know, long tracking things, and just really, you feel, you feel the heat of the of of this Florida neighborhood. You feel just this. It's a very sensual film. It's just over. And for a while, I was just content just to follow. Where are we going with this? And there is this steady undercurrent of dread that builds. And it's. I I, I also will not go too deep into plot summary because it's. Um, I was very fortunate to experience this completely cold mm-hmm. and um but i will just say that it it builds to to something and then the movie kind of recedes and i don't know if i'm reading too much into the title of the movie but it has this sort of pulsing wave-like rhythm of the movie just mm. from a, on a scene-to-scene basis but even in terms of the structure and the build-up and what happens and it builds to something that is really upsetting mm. and then it pulls back and it shifts to the character of his younger sister played by Taylor Russell, who's wonderful. And, and I think this is her first movie oh, that wow. she's been in and she's um, incredible. The, and the father is played by Sterling K Brown, who's always really good. And he is a, a very important character too. So um, yeah, I was just really, I was just enveloped by this movie. I think it's yeah. a real step forward in ambition for him. And um, you know, it's uh, it felt uh, there were times when I was just kind of, I was sort of watching through my fingers and dread at just what was going to happen. But then that second half where it really pulls you out of it and there's this feeling of grace, of, of just um, this sense of life going on, even in the wake of, of, of horrible events mm. and, and tragedy. And um, so, yeah, that is uh, one of the 
it's been it's one of the knockouts that I've seen yeah. for me personally here. Yeah, no, I mean it's nice to see that because I yeah his last film kind of just fell yeah. flat and and I thought it was very I, I liked it quite a bit I think it's, yeah you know, but I think he's this is much more it, it feels like um it feels like a progression I think into yeah. something more interesting yeah yeah it almost like the 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 second film took a little too literally the unnerving like creepy feel of his camera work it's like well what. Why don't we actually make it like you know horrific? And it's like, well, you don't. No, you don't actually do that. Um, we can come back to something like reality. Um, so yeah, that's that's waves, which I guess is coming out later this fall. A lot of these films are coming out um, later in the fall, but they are made and broken here. No, I don't. Know. <laughs> they liked that. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. suddenly have seven have a people laugh track. on this podcast. <laughs> we do a hundred eighty degree pan, and we're surrounded by people. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival, including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Married Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Cornelio Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Um... I'm, I'm actually going to stay with you, Justin, just for a sec, sure. because I just want to hear a couple of lines about Jojo Rabbit. Oh, yes. <laughs> Jojo Rabbit, or as I've been calling it, uh, life is beautiful if you let the right one in. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, this movie, you know, we saw it uh, last night uh, when mm-hmm. it premiered. Um, I, I, why, not, why not just tell you the whole story? I was really tired, okay. um, and I... I I slept through part of it, and sometimes, you know, it's like I didn't want to weigh in authoritatively on the movie without having seen it. So I actually went to see it again this morning at the press screening, and I was pretty. Con- that was I was glad I did because it convinced me. Nope, my instincts were correct. <laughs> it's an interesting thing sometimes when you find yourself yeah. just sort of resisting a movie, even mm. to the point where your brain shuts down, and you. And part of it is just physical exhaustion. Right. But sometimes you can trust your instincts when you are just not when the and when you're not responding or when. The laughter, because it's a comedy, the laughter of the audience around you is sort of telling you one thing, but the movie is telling you another. Right. So where you're just out of sync with the movie and your rhythm's kind of, I don't know, there's something interesting in that film. Yeah. But the movie itself is this faux audacious, faux dark, um, World War Two era anti-Hitler, anti-Nazi spoof um, in which Taika Waititi himself plays Hitler, who is uh, the imaginary friend of a young... German boy in the last days of World War II. And so he is, um, you know, a young little pint-sized Nazi wannabe who is, um, you know, idolizes Hitler and to the point of basically imagining him as an imaginary, as, as a friend, as a um, and close buddy. That is the, the sort of, you know, he's all over the trailers, but he's almost like a distraction. It doesn't, and that mm. element, which maybe I know has struck some people as like sort of problematic or grating and whatever i mean i actually don't really have that big a problem with ytt playing a hit you know making fun of hitler it's more what the movie is really about and i guess i won't say too much about it although part of me wants to just say everything about it and just so <laughs> to spare anyone having to see it but um i just think it's what the movie is really about is to me very much just a conventional kind of lump in the throat holocaust mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. dose of treacle and there is one moment in the movie that uh, concerning the character of Scar- played by Scarlett Johansson, who is the kid's mother, that okay. I just thought was just 
reprehensible and i really and even this was last night and i was like i think i hate i think i just (laughs) despise the fuck out of this movie and i um and i went back just to make absolutely sure and yes i do (laughs) and that's probably you know and this you know this movie is the the reaction it like a lot of comedies here like a lot of movies here it played through the roof you know the reactions were ecstatic afterward and it makes you think and you know it's best obviously not just to not pay attention to the reactions sometimes Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's it's going to be divisive for sure um um it already is yeah not a fan yeah (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for handling jojo (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) um and uh well well let's let's look at some of the uncut indie gems we might have seen. Oh, <laughs> nice. Nice transition. Very uh, nice. <laughs> um, uh, Michael, did you, you saw... You were just talking about a couple that you, you liked. Yeah, I mean, I really would love to put a good word in for this movie called Two of Us, which mm-hmm. I actually haven't heard a lot of people talking about. It's in the Discovery section. Um, the director is Filippo Minighetti, and um, it stars the wonderful Barbara Sukova, and it's set in this apartment complex, or in this apartment building, rather, where the, these two, um, you know, middle-aged bordering on elderly women have been um, involved in a love affair for many years. They live down the hall from each other. Mm-hmm. They don't actually, or across the hall from each other. And their affair, while not necessarily... Uh, forbidden or a secret is something that they haven't really told the world. And now that they're getting older, they want to move together to, it takes place in France, I believe. They want to move together to Rome and spend their twilight years with one another. They love each other. And uh, many different things happen that kind of get in the way of this. One of the things is in a very Circean twist, they're selfish children. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the women um, who's wonderful, who's actually not the, not the one Barbara Sukova plays, but she's played by an actress named Martine Chevalier. Mm-hmm. Um, she plays Madeline. She was she's she's the widow of the two, so she yeah. has two grown children. Okay. And with these characters, the film actually pushes into melodrama territory, which mm-hmm. is great. Like I was getting a lot of like an Ali Furious the Soul vibe from mm-hmm. the film. There's it's That's very cool. autumnal. Um, it's it has these kind of like expertly done dream sequences, hmm. and I was just kind of impressed that it managed to be melodrama without having the quote unquote you know melodrama hallmarks. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. a beautifully made movie about these people, and I was kind of an emotional mess watching it. I mean, mm-hmm. by the end of the film, I was I was really in tears because yeah. it's really about desperate love. It's about not wanting to. Um, you know, not giving a fuck anymore what anyone thinks mm-hmm. and just pushing ahead to be where you want to be in life. Yeah. And um, there are a lot of things blocking in the way. Mm. And in that way, it's just kind of like a perfect melodrama. Yeah. And I really loved what Barbara Sukova's performance. She's more of the free spirit. She's the one who's who wants um, Madeline to be honest with herself. And mm-hmm. the, the way I describe it, it sounds kind of like, you know, hoary, cliched film, but it uses those cliches in the best possible way to really mm. get at the humanity of the people. So two of us, a very unmemorable title. In fact, I, every time I bring it up to people, I can't remember what the movie's called. It's two of us. Right. That's <laughs> pretty anything. Then I get the Beatles song stuck in my head. Um, <laughs> right. But definitely people should seek this one out if it plays other places. Yeah. They really should. So that, and, but that also has like an element of the crack up because Barbara Sukova's character becomes so desperate from being separated from uh, her lover mm-hmm. that she does these, you know, 
things that are questionable mm-hmm. and extreme for protagonists. So she becomes like an almost an unlikable protagonist, oh, you know. Right. And it, it, I'm glad it didn't go too too far, but it it nicely problematizes things for a little bit. Yeah. So I really liked Two of Us. Two of Us. Okay. Um, and uh, you were also talking about um, Africa. 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 Right. Okay. Yes. Another another like. Why did they title it this? Another kind of poorly titled film. um, (laughs) Misleadingly. Well, I would say it would normally be poorly titled. It's it's misleadingly titled for what it is. It's actually an Israeli film. And it's another one of those films like by description. Do I want to see this? It's, you know, super low budget. First time filmmaker. It's also in the discovery section. Mm -hmm. He casts his own parents. It's shot in his house. With his own parents? He casts his own mother and father. Wow. (laughs) It's shot in his house. Uh-huh. And you might think that it's I don't know, self-indulgent or a little too DIY. I mean and it's mm-hmm. it's actually surprisingly challenging. Mm. And it and it also does like the fiction documentary hybrid thing like how much is this really about his family? How much is this, this is a scripted narrative? Uh, okay, yeah. But it doesn't matter while you're watching it. And you know, it's one of those things where you, if you watch a film with a paying audience as opposed to a, a press crowd, you realize that these some of these things we talk about as critics just don't matter at all. If the movie functions as a narrative right. and the audience is into it and they're asking questions about the people and characters and situations on screen, that it doesn't really matter. And that's how this played out. Um, so, yeah, so not, I don't want to say too much about it, but it's one of those movies that like, um, like two of us, like The Audition, which is, I don't know if we're going to talk about. That's a film with Nina Haas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have all these it's kind of prismatic. You see these different things going on in these people's lives. You don't know what it's adding up to. And then you, when you finally see the big picture, you realize that it is about a life on the verge or a person on mm. the precipice. Yeah. Um, a crack up as I keep right. saying. Um, but by the end of Africa, I was very, very moved, very moved about yeah. this couple, this, this, this older couple yeah. played by his parents and, um, hmm. a small film, but people should seek that out as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the amazing thing here is that you can talk to three different people and they've seen, like, three different smaller films that they, that, that they, that they all love. Um, Justin, Justin, do you have any sort of finds like that of, on a smaller Yeah, scale? it's true. I mean, you feel, you know, it's like my publication, we have, you know, four or five different people here and it feels like we're all on different tracks sometimes, right. uh, which is possible when you have a festival this big. Um, I don't know if I've met, if I know anyone who's seen, um, actually, I know a few, but... Um, the movie that I, I am about to recommend, which is Wet Season oh, yeah. by um, Anthony Chen, uh, who made a, de- made a debut a few years ago with um, Elo Elo, which I really mm-hmm. loved. Um, I don't know that this movie is. I don't think it's as good as that one. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he just has this really lovely, I guess you'd call it just a humanist touch for lack of a better. I can't mm-hmm. find the, a better term for it right now. Um, this is a drama about a teacher, a Chinese teacher living in Singapore um, with her husband and her father-in-law who is old and disabled and she takes care of him. Her husband is ignoring her. Just their marriage is clearly sort of falling apart Um, at school. You know, her students are, they don't, they don't care. They're, you know, somebody says, oh, it's just Chinese. Nobody, nobody, you know, nobody cares about this subject. But it's the movie is about this bond that she forms with one of her students, mm-hmm. who comes starts coming in for remedial Chinese classes, and you can sort of see where this is going because he develops a very clear and obvious 
attachment to her. Mm -hmm. um, it's very the movie's very drawn out, um, and so it takes its time building up to the you know will 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 they or won't they will this become right. an inappropriate mm -hmm. untoward uh, student teacher relationship, um, and once it does, I without giving away exactly what happens, um, perhaps it becomes a bit less interesting. But you're just I really liked the long leisurely build up of this movie, and it is set. Mm -hmm. Uh, during, as the title would indicate, during the monsoon season in Singapore. So you have very heavy and oppressive and sort of symbolic rain falling throughout. And, and touches like that are perhaps a little bit overdone. But I just, there's this core, there's a point in the movie where it's like the teacher who everyone's ignoring and nobody cares about with, and the student who has like absentee parents, so he's neglected as well. And the father-in-law who sh she's taking care of him. And these three sort of ignored, marginalized characters who are just mm. hanging out it together and enjoying each other's company and eating durian and like market yeah. stalls <laughs> and i just really sort of felt for, i think you know i i think this script is maybe a little bit more just listeners cannot see the hand motions i'm making oh, yeah. <laughs> it's maybe just a little kind of on the nose or something right, right. but um but i think he has a wonderful way with actors and a wonderful way with uh with time and with with place and with setting and mm -hmm. um i really enjoyed this yeah you know? so yeah, no, I mean, I, I only was able to, when I was going through a bunch of different clips, I watched the clip for that movie, and it's basically them eating a durian in the fruit in the class, <laughs> which is, and I just was watching them just scoop out more and more of it. Um, so anyway, yes. <laughs> that's, my crunch, that's my critical. There's more than one durian eating scene, oh, yeah. scene, too. There's many, yeah. It's, uh, it's um, yeah. <laughs> well, I think we're we're um, we're coming to the end of our our, um, our episode here. Um, I guess there was one more film I, I just uh, want to talk to because I don't think we got to it in Venice because it, it screened maybe as people were leaving. Um, that's Saturday Fiction, um, um, the, the Lu Yi um, uh, film, uh, and that stars Gong Li, obviously. Uh, and this is basically. You know what? What? What is? What is real? Kind of, kind of um, drama. Uh, she plays this theater actress who is also some sort of double agent or triple agent. Or <laughs> it's uh, a little confusing. It's, it's a little confusing, um, and it's in wartime. Um, Shanghai, nineteen forty-one. Shanghai, Shanghai right. yeah, yeah, nineteen forty-one. Yeah. Shanghai, um, and so you know you have this like competing national interests here, like the the, the Japanese are, are, are occupying. Um, and basically you're kind of seeing her navigate this. The movie is not told with like the, like, let's follow the bouncing ball of like a thriller kind of thing. There's no scalpel like precision or clarity. <laughs> there isn't. I mean, people are just, um, sometimes there are rehearsals. Sometimes people are attacking people. Some people are kind of skulking around. She is terrific throughout the, oh, she's like, fantastic. it's kind of amazing that. She's able to just kind of cut this like swath through the movie, where you just you just believe she's just like intrigue personified and and you know romantic um, angst yeah. as well, um, because she's torn between like the <laughs> I'm gonna forget well, there's this. An ex, there's a there's husband an ex who was jailed. There's an yeah. ex lover that she's yes. reconnected with. The theater director, the, theater the director, director of the play that she right. was involved with. Yeah, and then she also her like handler, I guess, who's played by. Pascal Gregory, Pascal right? Gregory, yes. And yes, yeah. who, there's also some relation there. Um, so that's an added layer. And if that was enough, this is all on the eve of Pearl Harbor. Uh, so, you know, you can wonder how that will figure out, figure into the plot. Um, and yeah, didn't know what was going on half the time. 
didn't care. Um, <laughs> but what he manages to do is he builds it to this crescendo because there's this kind of parallel drama going on in the in the play that's being rehearsed, which is a play that looks like is trying to like simulate like an actual cafe or like dance hall or something, so that you're not even always sure when you're watching whether you're watching a rehearsal or a performance of it or I don't know. And and that all comes to an amazing head by the end. That kind of like just the way that um, almost like superimposes a level of, of fiction and intrigue on everything that also comes to play in the world. People playing double roles, different identities, you know, um, and then none of it matters. It just becomes a bloodbath, <laughs> but a very good bath. one. Such as well. a good. Yeah. I forgive me. It's proves all you need to make a movie is a gong and a gun, basically, <laughs> um, which was kind of how I thought that this sensational yeah. whirlwind of violence with which it ends. And yeah, it's a very satisfying it. And I think it does come together. All the things that you sort of, I also shared the state of just total confusion half for the first <laughs> half. And then it really yeah. pulls you in. But um, for, I have to say personally for me, it was just, I was just endlessly fascinated by you know, my dad was born in Shanghai in 39. And so, uh-huh. and I wish when he was alive, I'd, heard more about his experience of like okay when did you leave and what was you know but it was just fascinating for me on that level just to see you know not exactly where he grew up but you know the british it's set mainly in the british and french concessions where there is still you know the japanese have not fully taken over these areas yet and so there is still some room to maneuver yeah um but i kind of love it i think it's um i go very up and down with loya's films i think that this is just the most interesting thing he's made in a while it's shot in black and white quite beautifully yeah um and uh he does this sort of he plays with confusion i think a lot and with Mm -hmm. violence and here i think he does it with great purpose and he has a great performance from from gong lee in it too so yeah yeah. it was wonderful to see gong lee in such a big bulldozing central role again yeah somebody who just i mean you know she partly defined my movie coming of age right so coming coming of age is a movie lover in the 90s i was i every gong lee film was a new event yeah yeah. so to see her still so central and perfect and wonderful in this yeah. movie was very exciting yeah and like not at all like not at all like resting on laurels or like riding on her like no. she she it's a great performance um yeah and I, I i agree that you know some of the director's past films he works a lot with a kind of like fog of passion that's you know that you're kind of working through in a film um but in this case the the this kind of combination of like the, the this particular like narrative fog but the volatility of the end i think it's true to the subject which is that nothing's clear until it's violently clear and in in a kind of situation like this so that was very effective for me but yeah this it is a i'm curious to see what it's like with a with an audience in a way but if there's if there's one small th- thing i could talk about just oh, to yeah. quickly branch off from this discussion of a of Gong Li as this kind of amazing her persona, her star, you know, her star persona, her presence. Yeah. Um, someone that I'm on the other side of things not particularly excited about anymore, <laughs> even though the <laughs> culture seems to be. Uh, that would be Nicolas Cage, oh, and right. I was, um, I, I yeah. really, I really believe that you know, kind of love of the Nicolas Cage thing now is extremely performative in our culture. And I think there's no better example of that than the experience of watching this new movie, Color Out of Space, which is a movie that I was actually very excited about because it's my favorite Lovecraft story. I I think it's brilliant. When I heard they were making a film out of it, or Richard Stanley was making a film out of it. He's the cult director of the film Hardware from a long time ago. Um, I thought, well, that can't be adapted. And as it turns out, 
at least in this case, <laughs> I was right. Um, yeah. And but I, but when I found out that Nicolas Cage was the star of it, I thought, okay, well then it's just going to become the Nicolas Cage show, right. and that that basically happens to a certain degree. It's yeah. it, the the story the story is 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 almost completely you know metaphorical and strange and it takes place over decades and it doesn't really have central people it has central ideas and the movie you know everything gets sucked up by this by this Nicolas Cage performance yeah. that that's at the center and and in the film his character he's he's a he's a farmer who's um He's not a farmer, but he's a he owns a farmhouse and he lives there with his family. And it's struck by a meteor, and th- because of this, like all these terrible things start to happen to the family and the surroundings. And th- that's an incredibly frightening thing in the book, the way it's just in the story, in the short story, in the way it's described on screen. It just becomes you know a rash rationale for Nicolas Cage to scream things and bug okay. his eyes out. Um, one of the things that he, he he owns a group of alpacas. And every single time he said something about the alpacas, the audience would like Pavlovian laugh their asses off. Uh, oh my God, Nicolas Cage said yeah. alpaca. So that's kind of where we are with movies right now, perhaps. <laughs> you know, giving the audience what it, yeah. what it thinks the audience wants as opposed to crafting something that might actually challenge them. Um, so it was disappointing, but there were right. some good practical gooey effects in it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Nicolas Cage, when I think of him, I kind of think of the host uh, of The Hunger Games kind of that's yeah. the kind of level that he's working on now i don't know yeah. anyway he's probably gonna hear this and ask me to do a movie or something um, anyway so we'll end with that flight of fancy um but uh off we go to see more movies but thank you both so much thank you very much thank you for having me you've been listening to the film comment podcast with music by greg Angie. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival, including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Married Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Cornelio Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. With 300-plus exhibitors and more than 50 conference sessions, NAB Show New York is designed to offer a new outlook on media, entertainment, and technology, so you can stay ahead of the field. Visit nabshowny.com and use code MP01 to save up to $100 on registration.